Welcome to the Diecast Movie Podcast. My name is Steven, and the podcast does two main types of episodes. One is interviews, and the other one is where Die is cast to decide the genre in the movie that we are going to discuss. And today's movie is going to be Windwalker, where I'm going to be joined with Ben. And for the first time, my two brothers, Rick and Joe. So I hope everybody enjoys that. There will be a little change of pace. Get more of the family involved, so to speak. Uh, just before we get to that episode, I want to remind everybody that June 16th for the 18th of 2023, Monster Bash is back, and I'm looking forward to it, and we're going to hear the promo about the different guests that are going to be there, and I hope you guys will be able to come out there. I'm going to be there, too, with my son, Ben, so we're going to have a good time, and I hope everybody's there, too, and enjoys it. So we're going to hear the promo for Monster Bash, and then we're going to go straight into the episode. Thanks. Bela Lugosi's Dracula, Monsters from Under the Sea, Atomic Frankensteins, and Grandpa Monster 2. Classic monster memorabilia vendors, movie and TV stars, signing autographed photos. It's all coming to the Marriott Pittsburgh North, June 16th through the 18th, 2023. It's Monster Bash! Fans who grew up with monster movies in the theater and on TV will descend on the Marriott Pittsburgh North. Hundreds and hundreds of fans. Don't you scare miss out as fans travel from all over the country to meet, shop, and enjoy classic monster entertainment. Coming to Monster Bash in June, Audrey Dalton, star of The Monster That Challenged the World and Boris Karloff's thriller TV shows. Charlotte Austin, who starred in Frankenstein 1970 with Karloff and Ed Wood's The Bride and the Beast. Lynn Lugosi Sparks, the granddaughter of Dracula himself, Bela Lugosi. Daniel Roebuck, star of countless films, TV's Matlock, and Grandpa Munster in the latest Munsters movie. Plus, he's a super fan and collector of classic monster memorabilia. Beverly Washburn, actress in Spider Baby with Lon Chaney Jr., Thriller, and Disney's Old Yeller. Tom Savini, actor, makeup man, special effects genius, with credits that include Creep Show, Tales from the Dark Side, The Black Phone, and so much more. Pamela Pierce, actress and daughter of the director that brought us The Legend of Boggy Creek. John Russo, co-writer and zombie from the original Night of the Living Dead, the origin of the modern zombie. And Ohio TV horror host legend, the one and only Son of Ghoul, still creeping to TV sets after all these years. Plus, Cleveland horror hosts Drac and Countess Corita. Monster Bash is wall-to-wall vendors and a giant horror hotel packed with classic monster movie fans. Don't miss out. Three-day VIP admission is $55 in advance or $60 at the door for all three packed days. Single-day admission at the door is $25. It's all at the Pittsburgh Marriott North, Friday through Sunday, June 16th through the 18th, 2023. Get your advanced membership admission online at creepyclassics.com. That's creepyclassics.com. More information is available at monsterbash.us or call 724-238-4317. It's Monster Bash. Monster Bash. 
Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Diecast Movie Podcast, where the genre in the movie is decided by the role of a die. And we also do interviews, too. But today we're doing a movie discussion. Normally, we would roll a die, but this particular movie I picked, and we'll talk about the reasons why later on. Um, but I'm joined by, for making their first appearance ever on the podcast, and hopefully there'll be more appearances by one of them. One of them will definitely be doing a reoccurring role. But my, we'll go we'll go by age. My eldest brother, Rick Turek. How you doing today, Rick? I'm doing great, Steve. Thanks for having me on. Oh, you're welcome. Rick's been a long time trying to get on the show. When we finally got him, we, we used some skeletons that we had in the closet and got Rick to come on the show. But now, sadly, we can't use those skeletons anymore. Um, the other person who's making yeah, some it, people call that bribery, but I think it was blackmail. <laughs> Whatever, it worked. <laughs> And that's the key thing. And the other person who's going to be a reoccurring person that's going to be on the show is my brother, Joe Turek. How are you doing today, Joe? I'm doing well, and I'm glad you didn't introduce me as your eldest, because I'm your older brother, but not your eldest. That is true. That is very true. And um, Joe's going to be reoccurring on the episodes that we do with sports-related films, where we're going to be rolling a die and deciding what sports genre that we go into. And those are going to be starting up next month. So you're going to be hearing Joe once a month, come on the show and we'll be talking about different sports movies. And of course, last but not least, my oldest son, Ben is back again, joining all three of us to talk about this episode. How are you doing today, Ben? Hi everybody. I'm back. We introduced Rick first, but we're going to start with Joe and Joe's going to talk a little bit about himself to let people know. And then we'll go to Rick. Fine. I will go ahead. Uh, been Steve's brother his whole life. Uh, cur- currently live in Pennsylvania. Big sports fan, which is why we're going to be doing the sports going forward. Uh, been involved with baseball most of my life. Umpire, coaching, player. And glad to kind of get out of the sports m- movies here and work on this. Awesome. And now we'll turn it to our eldest brother, Rick. Okay, so uh, migrants, been all over the country, started off in Baltimore, obviously, then Denver, uh, Southern California, Dallas, Texas, Green Valley, full-time RV for a while, Um, did lots of things in life, mountaineering, rock climbing, backpacking, cross-country bicycling, uh, sailing, Uh, I think my... uh, Big hobby, though, is uh, photography, so I plan on traveling the world taking pictures. And for sports, because we were talking about sports a little second ago with Joe, Rick also played rugby and other stuff, so he's been all over the place doing different things. Now, a lot of you might remember when I talk about different episodes and movie discussions in the past, if you've listened to older episodes, you'll hear me talk about Rick and Joe as being the ones that introduced me to certain movies that we'll be talking about in that thing. Like Rick helped bring me, introduced me to Quest for Fire. Um, what else? 2010 A Space Odyssey. 2010. Um, also 2001 A Space Odyssey. and All these different science fiction films and going that way. And Joe, um, I would see different things with him after Rick moved on, moved out of the house. Joe and I would go out to different movies and stuff like that. And we would see things like, Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. I'm sorry, and also Superman 3, which was really bad, but we laughed and had fun with it. <laughs> One day we'll have to do a Superman retrospective. 
Rick is nodding no, which doesn't do well in an audio podcast, but you, I could hear him. So <laughs> I'll translate it for you guys. Ben, anything going up with you? Do you want to talk about that listeners haven't heard about you in recently? Uh, not particularly. I'm almost done with college. And, yep, that's about it. Great. You need a haircut. Oh, yes, I also need a haircut. And to trim my beard. Yep, I've been telling him that for a while. We'll see if that happens. Okay. He's been telling me that since November. Yes, I have been, Rick. So it's been a long time. But Rick Rick is just jealous that you have the hair to have to get trimmed. I am indeed. Speaking from personal experience there, Steve. I'm not like Rick. <laughs> You're right. It's slow and steady. <laughs> Quitters. Quit? What? I like the way you say I have eight years on him. <laughs> I think he's going faster than I did. Well, I don't know. We can look back at pictures when we get one day. We'll go back there and look back in the archives. Um, but nevertheless, we picked the movie Windwalker today. And there's a reason why we, I picked Windwalker for us to do. When I was 11 years old, I saw the movie with my dad. And um, he wanted to go see it. We saw the, tra- what, the commercial trailer for it, whatever you want to call it, on TV. And he was like, oh, let's go see this movie. And I was interested in it, too, because dad liked westerns. And this was set back in that time, actually before the westerns. And... It was the last movie I saw with my dad for like 20 years. So I was 11 years old, so it was the last. he used to take me to a whole bunch of different movies like Pete's Dragon, Rocky, Jaws, that kind of stuff. But this was like the final one, and for a 20-year gap, Rick picked up the slack around this time, and um, Joe, like I said, picked up after that where we would go to movies and things. And uh, my dad and I did eventually start picking up movies when I was in my 30s all the way up to the time when he passed. And then we'd go to different movies and rekindled and had fun watching the movies that way. But Rick and Joe had never seen Wind Walker, and I hadn't seen it again since 1981. So I was wanted, wanted to have that revisiting with them because Dad really enjoyed it back at that time. And um, Ben got to see it for the first time also. So this is the first time viewing for three of you, my first time watching it in over 40 years. And uh, so we're going to be talking about Wind Walker, the 1981 movie, it came out in January 1981. Sometimes it'll be listed as 1980, depending on where you read, whether it's IMDb or Wikipedia. It came out around that time frame. To give everybody a little bit of an idea what Windwalker is about, a brief synopsis would be Windwalker star basically is about an old Indian warrior um, played by Trevor Howard, who is basically near the end of his life, talks to his two grandchildren, and explains to them about what happened to him early in life when he had got married, had twin boys, and how one of the boys was taken by the crow. And, of course, the windwalker is Cheyenne. And how he went on a journey to try to find the lost one comes back to what's kind of like present day in the movie. And, 1797, to be specific. Yeah. And the boy, the windwalker passes away, and then... It follows the family's journey to catch up with the rest of the tribe. What happens to them? Windwalker comes back because they're attacked. The great spirit wants him to continue on to assist them. And basically it's the story about what he goes to help them and whether or not he finds his lost son. And, you know, that's basically what the story is about. Don't you guys think? I mean, that's pretty much, without spoiling it, that's pretty much the synopsis of the movie. Yeah, sure. Right. 
a lot of spiritualism, Native American spiritualism, which was good. Oh, I think so. And for listeners wondering, it's about an hour and 40 minutes long. And um, they, the languages are Cheyenne, Crow, and English. English is mostly in narration um, during some flashback scenes and some overview. Originally, the Trevor Howard role was supposed to be played by um, Chief Dan George, who a lot of people might know from the outlaw Josie Wales, but he was too ill to do the film when the filming came around, and he recommended that they have Trevor Howard do the role, from what I read, and that's when Trevor Howard came in. Um, and then, but pretty much a lot of people sometimes get upset because Trevor Howard being an English gentleman, James Remar, who played Wind Walker when he was younger, are both Caucasians, but um, the, son, the guy who played the twin role of the adult son um, was Blackfoot. So it was, you know, you have you, in 1980, 81, when this is being filmed and shown, you had some things they were they're trying to do some proper representation. And one of the reasons they used the native languages was because with Trevor Howard taking over the role, they wanted to have more authenticity put in there. So that's why they switched it up there. So it would have been interesting to see if Chief, Chief Dan George would have been in the, original, in the role. Would they have kept had more English in it or, or not in the speaking parts? We'll never know because this is the product that we have. But we'll start with um, Rick. What are your first impressions of the movie? So, uh, I mean, it, if nothing else, it reinforces how violent uh, the life of the Native American was back then, how much violence there was between the tribes. Um, that actually seems to be downplayed a lot today, and it's more of, you know, the uh, cowboys versus the Indian kind of thing. And um, so what I liked about it is more of a, more closely of an historical representation. The only thing I really liked, again, I mentioned it, is the Native American spiritualism. I don't know if I told you guys, but one of the things that I do is I play a Native American wooden flute. Uh, and, uh, and so that spiritualism really uh, re- uh, resonates with me. Oh, cool. And Joe, what are your first impressions of watching Windwalker? It, 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 t- it took a while for it to grow on me. And oh, it's growing on you now. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot, lot of symbolism there beyond the, the Native, Native American piece there about how certain acts can come back to continue to haunt you and how you can relive mistakes of your past. That's what you're going with. Okay. Okay, he's being recorded now. That's why he's going with that. I'm not going to go back to what he was telling Ben and I over the phone. That you know, did you hear me yelling and screaming for 90 minutes, um, cursing you out? <laughs> what he actually said was, "Did you feel your ears burning?" But <laughs> again, we sometimes help each other stretch and grow into things that we normally wouldn't watch. And this is something I normally would not have run to. And, and that's something that Rick did for me, you know, growing up was like push the boundaries of movies that would not normally be for like an 11, 12, 13 year old. And Rick would push into those boundaries. I feel like I'm doing that to you, getting you out of your adult adolescence. I, I appreciate that. But I know Rick leveraged R rated movies for you. <laughs> well, the uh, truth is exposed. Well, Rick, Rick did get me in to see Conan the Barbarian and some other things that, that normally, but dad, dad did take me to see, well, Jaws was PG. Rocky, I think, was rated R. So you got, I got to see Rocky with Dad. <laughs> ben, what was your first impression of Windwalker? 
my first impression was that the the movie was extremely dependent on the music and the sound effects that happened in the movie because there's a lot of there's very few lines in the actual movie. There's not a lot of speaking part. Um, it's more similar to movies like with in the way that the music was done, like uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, where there's a certain sound that continuously repeats throughout the film or a bit of music that is through most of the film. And I thought that they did a very good job with the music. I felt that at times it could be, it was a little too repetitive or too loud in certain scenarios. Yeah, my first impression was that the movie felt longer than it was and it was a bit slower. It almost felt like two movies. Like there was the beginning of his life, which is roughly the first 36 minutes of the film. And then there's everything else that happens in the in movie time present, which is the other like hour and eight minutes or so of the film. Yeah, I, I can see where you're coming from. And I, I know how I felt when I saw one 11 years old because it stuck with me for decades, you know, that I really enjoyed watching this film. And, and, and of course, part of it being with my dad, you know, you go out there, you know, movie, it's just, you get that special treatment, which I'm sure Rick and Joe both had over time where they would do something with dad and they would go to do something. It's just the two of you and everybody. It's nice when you have those, those special moments when you have with a parent. And I'm sure same thing as we've all had as parents when we've done different things with our children, you know, when you have that, that special little time with them. Um, so I, that'll always have with me, but I remember then and now enjoying the cinematography, you know, when, cause it's shot in Utah and you could feel that you are in Utah and Rick course being in Colorado could feel probably even know more because it's set in the winter or, or, you know, sometime in the winter season and you have, the actors out there doing this stuff, you have frozen lakes, you have lots of different stunts going on. But what I like about it are a lot of the quiet scenes where you're seeing what they're trying to represent as best they can, what it was like to have life back then. And you get that feel for it. And I think having the Native American languages, the Cheyenne and the Crow language being utilized, and at the appropriate times they're putting subtitles up there so we understand what they're saying, Sometimes they didn't, but usually there were subtitles up there. Uh, you're able to get a pretty good feel of what's going on. And I don't mind the parts where there's not that dialogue because, for me, the acting with the body language and what's going on that you can see happening on the screen, you pretty much could follow along what's happening. I do agree with Ben a little bit that I think it's 10 minutes too long where sometimes they're repeating what's little flashback scenes when he would be contacting, he kept going back to images about when his when he met his wife, when his wife was pregnant, um, you know, showing the signs of the kids. They did that, I think, three different times at least, where they kept showing some of the same images. And I think that they just showed the flashback where his wife is basically communicating him in some way from the spirit realm or the great sky, depending on which way you want to go about interpreting it. I think those images, if they would have had that as the image, it would have worked pretty much as well, and it would have probably shaved off about seven, eight minutes of the runtime and maybe make it move a little faster uh, in some ways. But I'm not, the link didn't bother me, but I'm just saying as a minor critique. One thing I do want to add, and this has been sort of tickled the memory with a movie that I enjoyed that was very much like this completely different genre is uh, crouching tiger, hidden dragon. 
And I watched that in, uh, in Chinese, so all subtitled. And uh, you get the same kind of flavor. And, you know, that may be something that just happens when they try to pull in spiritualism. They, they try to give you time to absorb. Uh, anyway, just throwing that out there. Yeah, I mean, you never know. And um, so what are some, some scenes, Joe, we'll start with you. What are, what are like a scene that you really liked and we'll just feed upon that? Probably the one scene that resonates a lot with me is when his one son was stolen by the crow. Um, it, it showed a very peaceful family scene, and then how quickly at that age it could turn on a dime, and and he needed to react to that, and how he was trying to balance his current family with trying to recapture his son, and at one point, obviously, he forgets about it and, and moves on. And if I'm going too far ahead, stop me. But then how they get reunited at the end. So how that all tied together really meant a lot and in, in how that. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. What do you guys think? Yeah, that was good. My favorite scene, though, was the grandfather waking up and <laughs> realizing he wasn't dead. And then <laughs> pretty much falling to the ground and just mayhem. Yeah, that was sort of the comedy part of, of things for a bit there. Oh, yeah, what did he say? He was like, Grandfather, this was a good joke. Something like that. <laughs> like, Grandfather. Exactly. My, my feet are cold. I'm, I'm cold. <laughs> <laughs> and then what was the other line? Have you brought me back just to be the meal for my four-legged brothers? Yes. yes when the wolves surrounded by a pack of wolves only to fall into a bear. <laughs> yes. And for and for film lovers, making his screen debut in this movie is Bart the Bear. Yes, Bart the Bear, and and, and somehow it, it, it they don't show it, but the Windwalker, played by Trevor Howard, so he's an elderly man, is having a fight with a bear with a spear. They don't show how he wins, but he's there, and, he's, and, he's, and the bear's dying. He goes, "How is it that my brother, meaning the bear, is dying, and I'm still alive?" You know, grandfather, are you guiding me? You did you guide my spear? You know, because it basically just puts it to the supernatural, the spiritualism that there's no way in the world. Even he knew there's no way I could have beat this bear, but somehow it was meant to be. And then he has the bear skin for the rest of the time, you know, with him and that kind of stuff. It's just it's, uh, complaining how heavy it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> And then you got to throw in there the expressions on the family of the face when he walks into the tent and they realize he's still alive. That was absolutely hysterical. When his son sees him and just goes like, oh, thought he was dead. <laughs> thought he had died at that point. Not the, the, the son was injured in a fight with the crows and um, the, his family was taking care of him. And that's when the windwalker, the grandfather, uh, comes back, or his, or his father comes back into the tent and um, he has to say to people, no, I'm not, I'm, I haven't, I'm not from the spirit world, you know, that kind of thing. So <laughs> and the grandchildren's response when they see him come in, they're like, why the boss, the grandfather's back, you know, it's like, he can't be killed. <laughs> one of the one kids say, was it not a good day to die? <laughs> <laughs> yes, he did. He did say that. It was, it, it, was it not a good day? Oh, it's just, there was some, there was some, there was some humor in there, and it was just great how it was just being carried out. I thought it was in, in the body language and the eye, 
the the, the, the eye working was going really well. That's and, the other thing. In this movie, there wasn't a lot of dialogue, but the dialogue that was in it was very well scripted and executed by the characters. And that makes me question. So I saw in the beginning of the movie that it was based on a book, and it makes me wonder how good this book really is, whether it provided some of this dialogue to them or not. Well, there's only one way to find out. You have to get, you work in a library, get the book and read it. <laughs> yeah. You probably can read it for free. Probably. But that, that's what libraries usually do. They give you books for free. <laughs> oh, I only do Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> Hurry up, call on market there, so that's a plug. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they needed our help. <laughs> <laughs> One click is my demise. <laughs> oh man. Now, speaking of other things that we liked about the scenes, what what are some of the, the actors or characters that you guys gravitated to? Rick, we'll start with you. What was like one of your favorite characters? Well, I, I think the old man, um, uh, the, uh, he, uh, he was, he was more relaxed, you know, at the beginning as younger, that everything has to be proven. And by the time he was an old man, I was like, I don't give a hoot. I, I've done it all. I don't care what you think. Uh, and, uh, and so maybe because I have gray hair, I resonate with him. <laughs> he had no F's left to give. <laughs> Exactly. Hey, after he comes back from his death ceremony, there's like, there ain't much left that can kind of rile you up after that. No kidding. He even had a bad hair day. Still rock. He was coasting. He was like, "Mm, can't get worse from here. (laughs) Yeah, you survive wolves and you survive a bear. What the heck? (laughs) I mean, and he survived. But he died and got better. What, what else can you do? It's, 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 you know, it's, it's. Joe, who was, who was, what was one of your favorite characters? Well, Rick went with the easy one. Uh, so I, I was kind of torn, and they're both not major ones, but the two grandsons, and when his son returned as part of the crow, and I started connecting the the son's return when he was going through the woods, saw the family where he could have attacked and he chose not to. And because of that, I started making that connection and watched his evolution going, I'm not a crow. I'm actually a Cheyenne and, and, and belong to that. And then the, the two grandkids, when the grandfather's teaching them how to fight, and I'm sorry, if somebody comes back from the dead, I'm going to have a lot of confidence in him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and he put the war paint on him and just said, let's go out and do it. And, and those, those two kids fought like Cheyennes, and they they helped whittle down the crow, so it got down to just uh, evil life, I'm thinking correctly. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 use your head, not your, you know, to fight, fight smarter, not harder, as Ben and I were calling it during the movie, and... Uh, they used their likeness to the advantage by sabotaging the ice. So when the guy came after him with the horse down, he went. And I got to say one thing with this movie. The stunt work was amazing. But I tell you, being an animal lover, sometimes when you see what the stunt horses are doing, I was like, oh, please, don't let anything happen to those horses. Because those, those horses were really 
um, put through some ringers on some of these stunts. And uh, I was, I was like, yeah. you know, if you're an animal lover, that is one thing I got to warn you. There is, like in a lot of westerns, a lot of stunt work done by the horses, and some it, it, of it, it could affect you if you don't like that kind of stuff. You're not going to like this movie. Some of it looks kind of nasty on screen, especially the one with the uh, the rope trap in the snow where it gets the hooves of the horse. That one looked, I was like, mm, probably what shouldn't have done that to the actual horse. Hopefully they figured out some way to do it without injuring any of the horses or actors. That's the other thing. Some of these actors doing the stunts went through quite a ringer, like the, uh, the kids that were beating up the frozen lake to make the kind of hole in it. The, the guy that actually had to go in to the lake to do the simulated uh, freezing to death, I guess, he had. and uh, The boy being dragged by the horse oh, um, yeah. the, through the snow. I mean, there's there, there some stunt work done. I and, mean, of course, we know it, they probably had a stunt man doing it and they had, you know, we're, they're showing the distance scenes, but it was still, that's, you know, you're, you're asking these youngsters to do a lot. And this was a frozen lake. It was shot on scene, so these kids were sticking their hands and you know, some frigid cold water suit that helped probably help their acting a lot. <laughs> That's the other thing. If you watch this and then compare it with like a CGI background movie, I feel like there's a large difference in the terms of appearance. The lake resonated with me. I was just ice fishing in Wisconsin last weekend and it gets pretty gosh darn cold. And then for the kids laying on ice and pecking away to get to where it breaks through. And they're just using, like, rocks, too. Yeah. I had an auger, and uh, I got cold. Yeah. And how many fish did you the, catch, uh, Joe? The father, uh, <laughs> about the father going through the frozen stream as well. I mean, Oh, yeah. That's yeah. true. Yeah. I don't know whether it was Nick Ramis or, obviously, probably Stuntman, but still, it was it was um, pretty impressive with, with sitting, with smiling Wolf had to go through, um, mm. you know, going through those different scenes. And Ben, that was... Who is your, one of your favorite characters, or did they take them already? Uh, I think I'll have to go with the Evil Eye character. He never really got a proper name. They just kind of called him Evil Eye because he has one eye that's always sort of shut. Um, I feel like he was a very necessary character to forward the plot. He's not a likable character in any way because he literally just stole somebody else's child and then basically forced them to work for him for the rest of their life until they were an adult. Uh, but he was, he was like a necessary villain to have to forward the plot, to give the through line for the entirety of the film. Although I will say, I feel like they, the ages of some of these character of that character seem to be a little off in comparison to the person who played the Windwalker, the Windwalker, and the evil eye appeared to be roughly the same age in the earlier portion, which was several years before. And now the Windwalker looks like he's old enough to be dying of old age. And the uh, evil eye looks like he's roughly middle-aged. So I felt that they did a rather poor job of aging the character makeup-wise or finding somebody that looked the part enough. But everybody ages differently, so it's totally possible that he was the right age. And plus, Evil Eye wore about as much makeup as you could possibly pack onto your face. <laughs> That's true. All of the, you could distinctly tell the difference between the Cheyenne tribes people and the Crow tribes people because the Crow were constantly covered in what, what I would assume is war paint or some other paint. And the Cheyenne very rarely had it on. Also, an interesting plot point from the movie was that 
there were significantly less Native Americans in the Cheyenne group than what you would think because it was one family, essentially, that had stayed behind until their uh, patriarch passed away or elderly family member passed away. And the rest of them had kind of moved on at that point. So you don't have, like, this giant, massive battle. You've got, I think it was, like, six six Cheyenne that are kind of just trying to go catch up with their friends and didn't really expect the, was it four or five crow to randomly attack them? But if you think about it, uh, that was most likely the way warfare was back then. You don't go for the massive battles where you take huge losses. You go for opportunities uh, by chance. And so you always look for the stragglers to, to get. Yeah. Uh, and, and relative to that, uh, the uh, crow had the uh, clearly the Caucasian member. So that was another child that was stolen, uh, except from the settlers, uh, and raised as a crow. At least that's my opinion. Oh, the uh, the one that was screaming when he picked up the spear and caused the avalanche an accident? Yes. Yeah. Did he talk about when he put the spear in there and Ben and Ben was like, what the, this is a spear of peace. And and we're just thinking, okay, why why would you know part of you's thinking, why would you put a spear there? And then when the one guy picks it up and he then and they they scream and it causes an avalanche, it's like, oh well that's why you put the spear right there. It's because they're gonna pick it up and do their scream like ah, we're gonna get you. And it's like, ha ha ha, we got you. <laughs> uh, so that kind of thing. Yeah. But no, you guys pretty much took all the all the main characters I was thinking of. I'll, I'll give a little bit of shout-out to the guy who played the young Windwalker because he was in there for the first half hour of the movie. And um, James Ramar has done, done a lot of different movies and that kind of stuff. And he did, a, he did a good job. He had very little dialogue, had to do a lot of body language. He was playing the hurt, pride, hurting the pride type guy, which could have – his actions led to other actions, which led to – repercussions that caused the, the downfall of, for a while of his family and which that was his arc as as Rick said earlier when he got older he realized yes I was probably not thinking wisely at that time when I did this and that kind of stuff when he was retelling the story to his grandchildren and how his pride led to a fall and it, and it suffered with the death of his wife and the stealing of one of his twin boys so it's which made it really you know hard thing right off the bat and uh, but that's like the that, but that, that's like the first 30 minutes uh, ben said and after that the rest of the movie is the wind walkers saga trying to help his family what are some other things you guys like rick <clears throat> so um one analogy that um uh they use in um spiritualism that's sort of counter to uh, our culture is, uh, you know, you go off into the sunset uh, in our culture. There, I think he went off into the sunrise, you know, back to the the, the sky kind of thing. So uh, I thought that was interesting. Uh, I, I enjoyed that part. Um, and, um, you know, just having people being back in touch with the land and, um and understanding how to live in it and thrive. I agree. And, and for those wondering, like when Rick's talking about the land, the lives, and we were talking about the life, Ben and I noticed when we were looking at my DVD that this one, a um, 
anthropological award for most realistic portrayal of Native American life over Dances of Wolves and other films that came out in the 90s and things like that. So I don't know when this award was given. Obviously, I think it's, it's been like 20-some-odd years when it was passed out, but this was considered, to, by that group, the number one movie of portraying life back then. I think it was called the, I think it was a award given by the American Anthropological Anthropological Association yeah. or something like that, where they uh, they evaluated several movies and it had listed, it was like A Man Called Horse, Dancing with Wolves. Oh, there was another one, but I forgot what its name was. But this one beat them all out. And it did have, there was a lot of little things that made you think, oh, that's really believable. Like they were grinding herbs with, not like a now kind of standardized shaped mortar and pestle. They were using like an actual kind of smoother rock and a bowl. And it seemed like a lot of the characters and the makeup and the props were very realistic. Like you could very much believe it and buy it. The wig work could have been better, and there was... Oh, yeah. And Ben, tell them at one point, there was one thing Ben noticed right away. It was, it was with the um, the one who played the Windwalker's wife. Yes, she had, like, perfectly manicured fingers. Oh, yeah. And, like, it zooms yeah. in on her hands at one point, and it's just like, oh, yeah. She got right back from the beauty salon before she went on set. <laughs> it, it was her death scene, and, and, you looked at, and you could see her hand, and it's just like, Man, those things are like perfectly done nails. Yeah. Everything else about her is like beat up or dirty, but the nails were, oh, per- did you notice that, Joe? Yeah, uh, that that fact definitely escaped me. <laughs> no, that, that I noticed that right away too. Yeah, I was like, oh man, they probably should have thrown some like makeup on that to make it look dirty, or like just chipped them poorly. Let her deal with it for a couple of weeks. I, I, no, they really didn't make a lot of mistakes. I mean, that one jumps out, but you have many more. Yeah, I think that was yeah. that was pretty much the only like really the continuity error, I guess you could say that I can notice. I mean, yeah, I was just saying, anyways, I I didn't see that one, but I was questioning there towards the end of the movie about Evil Eye going. Eh, she should be just a wee bit older than what he is right now. Yeah. So I I picked yeah. up on that, but. Again, going to Rick's point, he has so much makeup on. Maybe he just didn't gray like the others did. Well, his neck. I looked at his neck, and you could see he had an old man's neck. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't think he was as old as Trevor Howard old. So I have to. When you guys are talking, I'm going to look up to see what years they were both born and get an idea how old this actor was. But but I have to say, for there not being an extensive amount of special effects, the way it was shot the re- realism behind it did make it really believable unless you would see the well-manicured hands, things of that nature. Uh, there wasn't anything that made you sit back and go, yeah, that didn't happen. That's the other thing. This was also shot in the 80s or, in, or late 70s. So this is like, there's no CGI. You probably don't have a team of people that goes back and evaluates everything because it's on real film instead of digital or uh, whatever they use now. But it's like... For at the time, this was an especially precise film, it seemed. Everything was exactly how they kind of wanted it to be. And I got to say, they probably got the best weather to work with this that naturally occurs. Because they had, when they wanted... You have to wonder how... You have to wonder how long they had to wait for that perfect weather. Yeah. Because there are some movies, like, when... uh, Was it Hell's Angels that... Howard Hughes film, didn't they spend like three or four years trying to get like the perfect sky background for all the airplane battles and everything? 
I think back to the second Batman they made, and I was in Pittsburgh when they were filming that, and it was August, and they had snow scenes. So <laughs> right. I looked it up. I got to give credit to them. There was only a five-year age difference between those two actors. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Trevor Howard was older. One age better. Yeah. <laughs> so just just to say, the makeup does. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Putting makeup over your whole face and having your hair completely covered does hide that you are a significantly older man. <laughs> I used oh, to- I got a great gift for that. <laughs> Note for self, Rick's Christmas gift. Face paint. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you, I mean, look at Kiss. I mean, they're out there still performing. They got all that makeup on, so it's hard to tell like how old they really are. Then you see them without the makeup being like, oh, man, they are a lot older. <laughs> I hate to say, Kiss, even with the makeup, looks really old. Mick they Jack- look evil, too. Mick Jagger should take some lessons. <laughs> Full face paint every day. It, it could work. It could work for you it, it, and that kind of stuff. But, no, it's uh, the movie. I'm, I'm going to go Rick with the spiritualism part a little bit. It, it really does take you through a journey. And I know from my taking college classes in the past and talking to different professors, I had a professor with, it was native American history and, it, and she was taking us through that journey and having people from tribes that were local to the Maryland area, Pennsylvania area coming to visit and talk about the culture. It really does make you aware um, about how things were back then and how people look at things differently and, and the values of that. And I think it's, it really helps out with the, the, the details they were trying to add as to how authentic exactly it was it's hard for me to say because i'm not i'm not an expert in that but for me the average audience person it definitely seemed to pass the muster so what i can tell you um i i paid attention when he was playing the wooden flute and i can tell you that his fingering was perfect he it wasn't somebody banging on a piano and all of a sudden this great music comes out he held that flute correctly, and his fingering was was correct. So, they they had a good uh, eye for detail, other than fingernails. And, and to go back to Rick's point with some of the symbolism on death, where a lot of our society sees it as an end, and going to their spiritualism, their beliefs that it's actually circle of life, where you're starting a new beginning. Yeah, de- birth is the uh, the beginning. The death is the beginning of birth, or whatever. I, I think how he phrased it. But of course, we all now when we hear "circle of life," we all think Lion King. It's just you know, it's just the way it is. <laughs> this was prior to Lion King by a good distance, but it, you know, so you know, if you look at movie wise, and obviously the whole ethos was way before that even. Uh, but yeah, it, it was pretty good. Yeah, it was very interesting. It was. I feel like the time that they set the movie in was very important in how this movie was able to play out the types of characters that they were able to put in it. Because this was kind of like towards the height of when the Comanche Empire was growing vastly in the Midwest area of what is now the United States, where it became, I think it was the largest Native American empire of all time by like the 1860s, but before the downfall of the Native American empire by the United States. Uh, but it was kind of in that in-between period where you didn't have massive rail lines going through the wilderness, but you did have still large groups of people that were there being the Native Americans able to interact with each other. It was 
very interesting to see it set specifically in that time period. And it was very enjoyable since I don't think there are actually that many movies that are set like right there. They actually had bison. Yeah. Uh, which, which was probably the other really funny scene when the little kid was trying to shoot a bison with his bow and arrow. <laughs> yeah, the young, young, young kid was like, it just goes, it, go, it, it just bounces off of and the bison just like, what, what hit me? A piece of paper and it just shrugs its head. And it. Yeah, like six-year-old <laughs> Windwalker went out to kill the bison with his Future. eventual wife. Yeah, eventual wife. And, and, and of course he had the bar and then you learn about the bartering system, you know, like the, um, Oh yeah. When he had the epic bartering battle with the guy who eventually kills his wife. Crooked leg. Yeah. That's the other thing. These Which people... actually, oh, you go first. What I thought was interesting is how did he team up with a crow? I mean, that, that was a little bit of a, an odd pairing. Yeah. It seemed like, I don't, I don't know whether they edited something out between when, Crooked Leg lost the essential. Windwalker's wife's parents were very reluctant to let her go with Crooked Leg from the very beginning, it seemed. He already had a previous wife or a current wife, and they it seemed like they really didn't want to send her with him. And he kept offering more and more than anyone else had. Eventually, the Windwalker stole a whole bunch of horses from the crow and basically bit him up. Uh, but something must have happened between then and when Crooked Leg left the Cheyenne, because when he's leaving, he encounters uh, the Windwalker and says something along the lines of, I'm not welcome here anymore, so I'm going to go and be uh, kind of like my own person, go and find his own group. And then the next time you see him, he's with the evil eye from the crow. So it's kind of like there's this weird period of time that's maybe a little bit missing from the movie that explains kind of the feud between Crooked Leg and the rest of the Cheyenne or whether it's just he was so prideful that that one instance completely drove him away from the place that he's lived. I think it's more the latter. You and I talked about this during the movie. I think it's more the second part than the first part. I think it was his pride. I don't think the Cheyenne would have kicked him out just because he lost the bartering deal and like he's no longer... I think he just... He couldn't hold his head high and felt like everybody was just talking about him or thinking about him, and then he left. And then there was a gap in the movies because during that time, she had to become pregnant, have the birth. The, the, the twins looked like they were about two years old or three years old or so at that point. So there had been a, a, a couple of year, a few-year gap. And somehow he got, well, you know, evil guys getting, you know, sometimes there's that evil team-up, and they come in and do it. And, like, when... Crook, when um, that crooked leg was losing the battle and it was about to be killed, you know, the guy with the bad eye um, pretty much looked at the thing as like, well, I got to cut my losses. And one of the twins had already wandered off from where he was. So he picked up the twin he could and got on the horse and took off with him. I'm thinking like, well, I might as well get something out of this deal. And that's why he took the, the nearest available thing, which was the child. I would say there was one other thing that I thought was probably a little bit unrealistic was the birth of the twins because like immediately after giving birth, the mother's kind of just laying there grimacing or smiling and like communicating with the Windwalker. I felt like that was probably a little bit unrealistic. So you wanted more gore? I I thought (laughs) she probably would have been a little bit more pain than what it depicted. But I mean, I guess you also don't know how long it had been 
since she gave birth because it did kind of flash through a little bit. But, yeah. And and not all uh, births are as hard or easy on on women. I you know, I have a good friend Julie who uh, it's very easy uh, to to give birth. I use the term relatively uh, compared to um, uh, like Anna or, or Valerie. They had a tough time. Yeah. yeah every, everything is different and everything's relative. And it's not like she was jumping up and moving around. She was just looking at him, I think, with just love. And I think that's yeah. what she was doing and he was doing. And they had their children there. And uh, that that's the way I, I was looking at it. But I like how some things were tied in the movie pretty well together. Like they established a couple ways how he could figure out who the lost son was. Um, besides that. They have it, the same face as his other son. Besides them being twins, identical twins. <laughs> uh, there was a thing shown where um, the one boy got scratched by a bear from a bear attack. And so he had the bear scar mark on him. So he was able to figure that out. But going back to what Joe said, I like how the crow brother who was figuring out piece by piece. And there was a thing that happened in the movie earlier where the Windwalker did find the lost son at the other tribe and um, was almost, almost got away with him. But again, something about him and his family going into really cold water, <laughs> you know, it, 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 it works out and doesn't work out for him. They survive it, but they, um, but boy, it doesn't help them that much. And, uh, but he was able to get across and get the boy to understand that he was actually Cheyenne and showed him um, the, the, the necklace and that kind of stuff, the symbol of, I guess, their tribe or their family. It's hard for me to say. And when he saw that later on, and I think also when he saw his twin brother's face, some smiling wolf, and, he, and you could see the look in his face thinking, like, what? You know, like he's like looking at his face on another person. Um, I think that was sold very well, but I like that little continuity with the, the, the scratch, you know, from the bear and it comes back to play. Uh, there was also some really cool fight scenes in the movie. Like the, uh, well, I wouldn't say cool to today's standard, but kind of like cool as in the smiling wolf kicked some butt. That guy was in like a four V one and he almost came out on top. He was definitely the great warrior that they said he was in the plot. <laughs> that yep. was, yeah. It took a sneak attack to take him out. Yeah. It took two at once with the sneak attack. <laughs> and, uh, right. And you also got to know, you knew he was a boss fighter when he was on, I think he was still on his horse at the time when he, he notched the arrow to, to help out, you know, one, his, I'm not sure if it was his wife or the other female that was with their group. And I think it was Dirty Females with the group. And he took it and shot him, got the guy right in the chest. You know, it was just like he sees that go, boom. And he's like, one kill, one shot, one kill. <laughs> and then just dead. Now, if he was been really boss, it would have been a nice shot. <laughs> <laughs> and, and don't forget the uh, symbolism that came to place with his horse and how yeah. they tied the warrior and the horse together. So. One of the things that they were trying to do, and the reason they kept going after him, is not only to kill him, but to get the horse, because that was part of the warring, warring spirit as well. Yeah, to prove that they were as great of a soul or a warrior as he was, and have that level of pride. Yeah, and then the symbolism later when the the Windwalker is actually riding around on the white horse, having like I guess completed his life's mission in a sense. 
And also the fact that they said that the white horse will lead him to the warrior or the warrior will lead him to the white horse. And, and of course, where's the white horse go? But he finds the wind walker after he's killed the bear and he need, and he's like, this bear skin is too heavy and he collapses. And then later there's, there's the horse. <laughs> so I, mean, it, 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 I do like how it's interwoven. And that just goes back to very good directing and a good screenplay, you know, directed by Keith Morrell. And it was written by Ray Goldrup. And I think there's just, the two of them were able to put all those things together. And now whether it was all in the screenplay, whether the director helped with some of that, or whether it was a combination of the two, and how much of it is from the book, it's hard to say. Because when you take a book and you translate it to a different medium, there's a lot of um, creative adjustments that have to be made for the medium that you're you're now trying to focus on. So I don't think that I don't know how many parts of that was in the book. But I thought those two did a very good job and what did you guys think of the music? I know Rick talked about the flute music, but what do you think about the overall musical score? Hey, I, I thought it was great. I, there was no doubt in my mind that Rick was going to mention the flute play uh, <laughs> just because of his experience being out west and, and playing himself. Uh, but uh, when you have as little dialogue as you do in a, in a movie, the, the music plays an even more important role. It sets mood. Um, intensity, and then just the picturesque video that goes along with it. But I've always said for a long time, music can make a scene. We, we do that when we go tailgating, and the music sets the stage for, for the day. And in this case, it actually did a great job with minimal dialogue doing it for the movie. Now, I'm, I'm going to sort of play a little devil's advocate. I thought the, the music was okay. Uh, it didn't really do anything for me uh, other than when it started uh, uh, crescendo, then you knew something was going to happen, but um, it could have been completely different uh, music score and I would have enjoyed the, the movie. I think it was kind of similar to how sometimes you see like a nature documentary and it'll have a score and it'll do like the little flute music when you see a rabbit and then it'll do the darker music when you see like a wolf. To me, it was kind of like that where it was just calling out what was going to happen in the scene a little bit. But overall, it was very good. It was an interesting composition. Uh, but I felt that it was leveled improperly at times when they were talking and the music happened at the same time. I thought that the music could have been a little bit softer at times. Um, I, 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 hear what, I, I guess I overlaid with it, though, that this movie was over 30 years ago. That's and true. you think about that's how true. technology and cinematography has come since then. And so maybe my expectations were a little bit different as well with it being an older movie. That's true. I think overall it's a very good score. Um, I feel like there's there's little things that you could nitpick about it, but I think the composer did an extremely good job. Um, I thought there could have been could have been little differences. I'm, I'm going to split the difference. You know why not? You know because there's there's things I enjoyed really a, a lot about like Rick said the flute music, the musical cues when he's. It seems like he's getting inspiration or guidance, whether knowingly or unknowingly, from the spirit world or spirit realm or whatever um, in, that, in that area. Those parts I really liked because it, it cues us into what's going on. So that way when the actor is doing that thing, you know, with music and the body language, boom, boom, that's what's happening. Uh, it, it, But as Rick, I agree with Rick in the ways, this is not, to me, it's, it's not a score I would want to own and want to listen to on its own. To me, a great score is one I would be like, okay, 
I want to get it and I want to be able to hear it and it, and it can stand on its own or it brings back a lot of things from the movie. I'm, there's Except for the flute part, there's nothing really in the score for me that says, oh, this is what happened in this part of the movie or this is something I want to hear as a piece on its own. So I understand where everybody's coming from and, and Joe, it, there's no reason you know, to get, you know, it's, everybody has different tastes and that's the one thing about everybody talking about the same thing. There's going to be different things we're all going to like and not like. Uh, and, and equally, but I, I could see where both of you guys are coming from because I'm the, kind of the same way. There's parts I really enjoyed about it, but also I don't mind silence happening in the thing and, and being in Utah, being in it's a snow, and you can hear the footfalls sometimes going on as they're going through or the crunching of the um, ice that's on top of the snow. I like I like that too because it gives that sense of silence and what's happening and, and how a certain noise can cue it in. For instance, when one of the crow is coming down and, the, and the, one of the um, family members is filling up a vessel with water and that kind of thing, you can hear the water and it's all that great stuff and that sound that's going on there. I thought that was very well. But, but if you had the music going on, it would lose a lot. So I think it's, a, it's always hard to have that appropriate balance. And everybody has a different thing of what that balance should be. Uh, you know, so that's where I could see where a little bit less would have – helped me and I think Rick too, where I think you guys had hit the sweet spot more. So it's per- perfectly fine. I think independently mm-hmm. there was like, if this was just a score that was out there, I wouldn't want to listen to it, but I feel that it fit the movie very well because it did, it hit exactly what it needed to hit in the movie. It wasn't overbearing. Like some movies are almost defined by their scores and the, the score, the score really kind of overpowers the film. I felt that this one, they were very even. It was very balanced between the cinematography and the score. But, I mean, there are just little parts that I would have liked a little bit softer, but that, that's really it. And, Rick, I have a curious, I said to everybody, it's filmed, it was filmed in outdoor locations in Utah, and you being out there and done a lot of things in that area, um, have you ever been to, and I might, I might say this wrong, the Wasatch Mountains? Uh, no, uh, I mean, that's outside of Salt Lake City. Um, I, I really didn't go there. I believe that's outside of Salt Lake City. I, I bought it. You sounded very authoritarian on that. <laughs> I wasn't going to argue about its location. I was just asking if you had been there or not, because I know you've, you you do a lot of skiing, a lot of hiking, so there could have been a chance that you might have been at some of these locations, but more than more than the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> that would first require no. me in the state of Utah. <laughs> Yes. I've been to Utah, but <laughs> you've been to Salt Lake City too. And I've been to Salt Lake City too. I've been there a couple of times, but I was with my wife and she's not a hiker. <laughs> well, she was also in a conference. You could have just gone on your own. Oh yeah. It's, it's just, <laughs> just, just walk right out there. Well, she was Salt at the Lake conference keep... all day. You went and saw movies instead. <laughs> so, you know, then bringing up though, that the Utah concept, I mean, they did a very good job with the outdoors. It was clearly towards spring, um, you know, hence you got the dripping water and you got the soft ice and it all played in, uh, so into the, the story. So that, that all was authentic. Yeah. I enjoyed that. Did anybody have any like dislikes or things that they would like to critique about the film a little bit? Anything you felt could have been improved? Uh, we'll start with, uh, you, Rick. <laughs> you know, that movie would have gone up a, a notch if it had been all uh, Native American flute and drum. 
but I enjoyed it. I mean, just for the record, I really enjoyed the movie. But if they had uh, chosen that path, that would have rocked my world. Joe, how about you? Anything you thought could have been improved in this movie that you haven't, we haven't talked about already? Again, wasn't my normal genre. And I thought it moved a bit slow for me. Uh, you were able to bridge things together. Uh, I could have been much happier if it was 45 minutes rather than an hour and 40. But it was also important because character build and, and so forth. But again, not my sweet spot. I enjoyed watching it but not one I would put up and, and run to. Somehow, uh, the way you were talking earlier, a lot of this is not really believable to me. <laughs> I think Rick had no, an effect on you. <laughs> or it could be, listeners, just because you, were, you weren't there with us, in between, we went into a Maryland-Penn State game. Joe was a big Penn State fan. Ben and I are Maryland fans. And Penn State pulled out a last-second victory over Maryland, so... We had a two-hour drive back to my brother Joe's house. We're recording now, and I think I think that Mer- that 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 Penn St- I want to say Maryland win. They should have won, but that Penn State victory uh, really helped buoy Joe's buoy Joe's spirit. I think if Penn State would have lost, we'd have a different <laughs> a lot of different words coming from Joe. All I've got to say to that is, we are Penn State. Oh man, your turn, Ben. I've oh. got to follow that. Now. <laughs> I feel like this movie appeals to a very specific audience of people primarily, and I feel like that's probably why, if I believe when it was initially released, it had a limited release, um, and why it wasn't as widespread as it could have been. Um, I think that all of the components for a good movie exist in this movie. It's just that the, the topic and the action and everything isn't necessarily as interesting to a large audience as it could have been um i felt that the pacing was very slow in that the first 30 i think it's 36 minutes is the entire time when they discuss the windwalkers childhood through uh building his starting to build his family um i felt that that could have been an entire movie on its own and completely separate from this because it had all of the essentially necessary plot developments he was born had some childhood experience, married his wife, um, had kids, had a tragedy happen, went and recovered his son from the crow. If it had ended there, I think that's a complete plot line. Uh, But then they have this additional plot line, which is the present day. And I felt that this movie could have been maybe condensed into a... 40 or not 40 but a one hour to an hour and 15 minute plot instead of an hour and 40 minute plot that way you still had time to do this character development but you didn't have this um sort of lull in the middle and i'm, I'm gonna look at it this way is i really don't have any negative except for i talked about earlier that it could have been edited a little bit more to maybe shave off seven or eight minutes. You know, I think that was the, the part, which I think Ben and Joe are bringing up. I don't think, I don't think it could have been an hour. I think 90 minutes would have been a sweet spot for it. Not 85 minutes, somewhere in that frame time frame. I don't know without having read the book, the book was condensed into a movie. And I think what it was, it probably, there could have been a lot of things that were left out of the movie that were in the book, but they had to, 
I think if to do justice to the book, establish that part. And without having the first part, you would not understand the second part. And the second part is the Wind Walker storyline. So it's so you needed that that first area. Now it could have been I, I, if if you wanted to, it didn't bother me. I don't think it bothered Rick either, as much as it, it seemed to bother um, Joe and Ben. I mean, that could have been, yes, it could have been condensed to a 10, 15-minute thing where they could have hit more of the bullet points and moved right into the other story. And it could have been an hour and 10-minute movie, an hour and 15-minute movie. And I think for you two guys, that would have probably been more into what you were looking for. But I would, I, I'm, lo- I'm looking for the development of the – I like the development of the characters where you actually care about them and see that journey with them. And I felt this, for me, it worked really well. And I'll start off with our recommend. I recommend this movie to anybody that wants to watch it. You know, it, it's if you like movies that are set in this time frame, you know, 1797, Native American type movies, where it seems to be, from all intents and purposes, from what we've read, accurately portrayed. Um, listeners, if, if you have different questions about that and say there's things that could have been done better, besides the casting being more ethnically diverse. Um, because it's too late. The movie's done. I mean, there's nothing they can do to change that, but I'm talking about the representation of the culture, the spiritual aspects. I think it's a very good, very good movie. I enjoyed it 11 when I was 11 years old and I'm in my fifties and I enjoy it still. So it's to me, it worked for me when I was very young and it's working for me in my middle aged years, but let's take it to Rick. Would you recommend this movie, Rick? I, I do. I had to mute because I had a barking dog. Um, I, uh, you know, we sort of beat on this. Uh, I thought it was authentic. Uh, I, I am fond of studying Native American culture. Uh, and so this was a sweet spot movie for me. Um, uh, and yes, they could have used more Native Americans, but um, they didn't they didn't do a bad job of um, doing the movie with what they had. So yeah, I would, I'd recommend it. And in fact, if you want to learn a little bit more about uh, native American culture, I I would recommend watching that movie. And now we'll take it to brother Joe. (laughs) I, I would say if you're looking specifically for insight to culture based in a particular time period, I think it's good. If you're looking for extreme entertainment, I don't think it's there. Okay, so if you don't look, if you're looking for extreme entertainment, this is not the movie. But if you're just looking for entertainment, it is the movie. Is that what I'm parsing from your words? <laughs> uh, you're ref- you're paraphrasing me there a bit, uh, but this is not again not my not my sweet spot. If I was looking to learn more about the culture, perfect. If I wanted to go to a movie that I normally would go to, this would not fit the bill. All right. That's why maybe dad took me. <laughs> ben, do you recommend it? Let's go with the youngest person here, you know. Uh, well, I would like to preface this. I feel like I feel like this being done as a feature-length film by today's standards, I don't think it would be done. I feel like if this was done again now, this would be a mini series. Um, definitely. I feel like it would be a mini series with about 30 minute episodes or so, and that it would be much more digestible to watch. It would be, it, 
hopefully it would still continue with the same authenticity, but it would be much more digestible and entertaining to a larger audience. That way it would bring a larger amount of recognition to this work and the cultures that it represents. Um, if I was going to recommend it to somebody that wasn't interested in this time period, or I know they don't greatly enjoy Westerns or pieces that are slower burns. No, I would definitely not recommend it to them. But if it was somebody that likes watching longer movies, um, maybe is very into this studying this time period or the genre of native Americans, I would, I would say, yeah, go for it. But it's a very, it's a very niche film to me. It could be why it had a limited release. I will say this when dad and I saw the commercial for it on TV and the, and the DVD does have the original commercials that they showed. It was a 30 second commercial. Now imagine you three, all you saw were the action scenes. For 30 seconds, like the like the, the teepees at the Crow Village burning, people fighting, this and that, and you hear an epic tale. And it's because it, it, it's narration the whole way through with the normal, like the movie phone guy doing the, the voice thing. If you saw that commercial and then saw this movie, do you think it would have been a bait and switch? <laughs> I might have walked out. It would have been a bait and switch. Definitely. That would have been, Yeah. And that's what Dad and I saw, but yet somehow it worked for us. But I guess maybe maybe 1981 mentality, you just you're able to plug along and go for it. But yeah, if, if nowadays I'd be uh, probably upset. But it didn't bother him and I back then. But listeners, if see the movie, it's readily available on streaming. You can pay a, a nominal fee for it, or you can get the DVD. Um, it's an older release, but it's still out there if you know where to look. I recommend you get it. Rick recommends you get it. Joe and Ben both say, if this is, if this is your cup of tea, drink it. If it's not, don't. <laughs> if it's not, throw it on the floor. Yeah, spill uh, it. Spill it. <laughs> See, now Joe's starting to tell us what he was earlier. That, 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 that Penn State victory starting to fade from him. <laughs> Reality starting to set back in. But listeners, let us know what you think about it. Email us at diecastmoviepodcast at gmail.com or leave us a message on our Facebook page. That way you can get your feedback from that. Joe, Rick, I want to thank you both for joining Ben and I to talk about this movie. Joe, again, will be reoccurring every month, you know, talking about sports movies starting next month. And Rick, hopefully, will come back again. Rick, do you think you'll come back again and do another movie on occasion, like maybe like at least like once a year or once every so many months? Uh, yeah, you could probably twist my arm to come back in about that frequency. And by that time, I will be international, so we'll have an international flair. And, and, and with that thought, Rick, we'll make sure we queue up a racing movie for you. <laughs> That's an inside joke we'll explain later on on episode four of Joe of Sports with Joe <laughs> when we do the sports movies and stuff like that. But otherwise, thanks, everybody, again. And to um, take us out, we're going to hear the um, trailer from Windwalker so that way people get an idea what it was when the, I got to hear when, when it was on TV and that kind of thing. The Windwalker, an epic adventure, the most authentic Indian film ever made. The Windwalker, he conquered a world of obsession and death. See The Windwalker, starring Trevor Howard. Now his spirit lives forever.